Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM from the unceded Musqueam Territory at the University of beautiful British Columbia. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhammer. And we've got a pat show for you as always. We have to talk in this episode about the fact that there is a new MLS Cup champion crowned. We will get to that shortly. It's great though because it isn't Portland. And I thought we we're going to have to talk about another Cascadian team lifting the MLS Cup, but we don't. Although I'm sure Zach's got some opinions on that as well. So we will get to that. Just be- before we-, we kick off the football chat, just how has your week been, Zach? How- how's all the-, the things out Abbotsford way? Weather-wise. Yeah, life's always exciting. No, the, the weather's been good. The things are beginning to clear up. It's it's weird It's weird to see a little bit firsthand how, you know, when there's, like, something happens that's big and significant and, like, a larger area, larger community takes notice and then, like, it dies down and, like, it's not as big an issue anymore, but, like, on the ground, <laughs> there's still lots happening. Yeah. So it's a little bit like that, a little bit like that here. And, again, I'm not, like, my, my day-to-day life is only impacted in that there are, there's more traffic on certain routes, <laughs> you know, like mm. my, my life is not, I'm not hard done by in any way, shape or form, but, um, I'm, yeah, I'm still waiting for a package that left Chicago and is, was coming by land and it's been a while and it seems to have, no one knows where it is. And I think it's basically because of all the, the floods, cause they've got this storm delay. S- sadly, it was a chocolate advent calendar from Hotel <laughs> Chocolat. So the time I get it, it might now become a January advent calendar, I guess. Oh, we'll, or that's or un- mel- melted chocolate advent that's calendar. That's unfortunate. Well, at least it's cold to... weather. It should be good. It shouldn't uh, melt. Yeah. Well, hopefully it didn't get like, like it caught in the flood. <laughs> yeah. So if anyone sees a hotel chocolate uh, advent calendar floating down the river, grab it. I'll probably still eat it. I drove to Chilliwack this week for the first time, and it is it is kind of weird to drive through that 17 kilometers or whatever where everything was flooded it's it's weird it, it also has a certain st- a different stench to it than it usually does mm. but um but no no movies this week next week i'll have lots of, or at least a couple of movies to talk about oh excellent look forward to hearing about that i i've just been watching lots of football of course that's all i really do been really getting into the a league which is into week four 
And just before we get into chatting about MLS, what I talk about two former Whitecaps managers moving in, in very different directions with their managerial careers in many ways. Kyle Robinson, of course, is down in Australia with Western Sydney Wanderers under a lot of pressure. Will he still be the, the boss the time this podcast comes out? Will he be the boss the time the next podcast comes out? It, the fans are baying for his blood just now. They want him out of the team. The The team that he left in Australia, Newcastle Jets, their fans are crowing about it because he was with them very short term and then moved to what was seen to be the bigger club. Now, it's only week four of the season. And their record is one win, two draws, and they just had their their first defeat. A pretty bad home defeat uh, on Saturday night, Friday night for us, Saturday morning, Australia kind of time. But midweek, now this might sound familiar to some Whitecaps fans, it was a cup game, Australian Cup. Robbo said beforehand, it's an important competition, I'm not going to make a lot of changes. There's not going to be wholesale changes in the team. He made 11 changes to the starting lineup, which is about as wholesale as you could probably get, you've got to say. Yeah, I heard about it because I just happened to be on Glass City's Twitter account. Uh, and, you know, <laughs> if there's any bad robo news, it's always going to come up on there, especially with the memes. Um, Wait, are you, are you saying you're Glass City? You're no, I'm not. Glass- oh, okay. <laughs> no, I said I w- would buy Glass City's account. It, it doesn't. It's happened before, where Robbo's promised something for a cup game, and he's kind of uh, backtracked his words or made changes on the changes that he was going to do. So, yeah, we'll see what happens. I guess. Michael, the, for marketing for this episode, I think you need to, to say, "Is Steve? It does Steve reveal himself to be Glass City?" <laughs> I don't. Um, Zach, honestly, I don't know where you got that from. What I said, I said I I happened to go on be on Glass City's Twitter account. Yeah. Oh, yeah. we think the lady doth protest too much. <laughs> Oh my god! I'm just, I'm totally joking, Steve. I'm totally joking. As I was I. over reading into something that wasn't there. Yeah, um, I, I, that that cup game for Robo though. I watched that uh, during the week, the early hours of Wednesday morning. I think it was our time. Appia Leichhardt, a NPL team, so like lower league, much like the Whitecaps, going to play Pacific FC, and it was a two-one win for the the underdogs with their their second goal, what proved to be the match winner coming from a fantastic free kick from about 40 yards out, where the guy's like, oh, that keeper's nowhere near his goal line. I'm just going to float that towards the goal. And it went in. It sounds like fine lines. It, it does. So Robbo's on a sugarly peg, but the man that Robbo took over from at the Whitecaps, Martin Rennie, he does have a new gig and he's back in Scotland. He's actually managing in Scotland for the first time in his career. In the third tier of Scottish football, with a a sleeping giant, some may say. It's a club that's certainly been in the doldrums for, for a few seasons now. Falkirk FC. Rennie was appointed manager on Friday night. Watched Saturday's game from the stand. A 3-0 home defeat to Cove Rangers. His first actual game in charge. Next weekend, where does he head? Bayview Stadium to take on East Fife. What, what time? Are you going to get us a link for this? Oh, I can get you a link for that, yeah. It'll be 7am our time on Saturday morning. So it's a tough job for for Martin Rennie to take over there. Their fans at the moment have 
been like baying for blood again just to to use the phrase that i use for for robo they had an absolute car crash of a, a fans meeting with the board of directors where it got quite testy one of the fans stood up to to make some points and all that the the owner or the director stood up to say in reply was that wasn't a question that was a statement and then sat down and didn't address any of the points that were raised wish Martin Rennie well, just not next Saturday uh, against East Fife. So keep an eye on that if, you, if you're following the, the Whitecaps' former coaches. Let's get chatting more this side of the, the Atlantic Ocean now because Saturday was MLS Cup Day, a packed piggy park. Just over 25,000 people were packed in, filled to the rafters. Great atmosphere. I, I'm still... I, I still prefer neutral venues. I I know why they do it, because they obviously want to sell it out and they want to get a good atmosphere, etc., etc. But if you're going to do that, I think you do have to give the other team more than 2,500 to 3,000 tickets like they, they did with NYCFC. I was curious how they were going to mic this one up, Steve, but the, the New York City fans did come across quite well, but it was, by and large, it felt like a Timbers home game. Yeah, the thing is with neutral venues, you're going to have to have that week in between for everybody to arrange travel and everything like that. So that's the problem there. Um, It should be more uh, tickets available for sure, or maybe some more exercise bikes available for away fans or something like that. Yeah, that looked fun. I wonder how long some of those guys were on that bike, the whole two hours and penalties. Yeah, um, so yeah, it, it definitely should have, I'm not saying 50 50, but at least like uh, more than, uh, whatever that percentage is it's not very high maybe a third or something like that have available and then if they don't sell them out then you sell them to the local fans keep them on hand or like kind of give them a little bit at a time to see how much they sell out yeah i mean i neutral in north america is tough because if you if this game was say scheduled in i don't know kansas city how, how many folk from Kansas City is going to go out just for the spectacle of the cup game? You see it with the Grey Cup moving around to neutral venues here, and it, it's got a little bit of prestige that, and history that folk do turn out for it. Do you think folk would turn out? I know they used to do neutral venues, Zach, and that was where Seattle hosted their first MLS Cup in 2009. Do you think now that the league has grown that they would still be able to get sellouts if they went for a neutral venue? Yeah, maybe. I guess it might depend on where and I mean, obviously you need to put it in like these warmer climates for this time of year. But mm-hmm. I agree with Steve with one with like literally like whatever one week notice or whatever. It's, it's pretty hard. Um, even you can imagine for those those whatever 3000 or so uh, away fans that did travel uh, today that I mean, that's pretty quick turnaround. And yeah. Uh, yeah. Can, can, well, I, can I, I speak to can I speak to the, the 3000 fans and how they were like a, like the way they were like displayed on the broadcast it sounded like that they had been walked or cycled or gone on horse and buggy to the to, to from new york city to portland or something like that that's what it sounded like they yeah they were making it oh it's been such a big long trip for these fans and stuff yes. oh, you, you hopped in a plane for a couple of hours yeah exactly it was like it was unbelievable how they they a lot of stuff in this game was like came out of nowhere it just seemed like odd some of the statements yeah i I mean, at least the, the New York City fans didn't have to line up overnight to get their prime spots, which the Timbers Army obviously did. I 
I know you can argue that it shows passion, etc, etc. It's ridiculous, though. It's like, to have to do that just to get in, to get a spot because it's general admission and etc, etc. I don't know. I, I don't know the reason why, but it looked like the front two rows or whatever of the TA was, like, blocked off, too. Like, no one was, they had tarped off. I don't oh, know if that's, like, a COVID thing and they needed space between those who were leading. Maybe, maybe mm. don't do it the day of. Maybe do it, like, the... Like, if, especially if you know you're hosting, maybe we do a couple days before and then just have everybody give tickets <laughs> for the game and then they could come out at normal time. Like, they don't have to be tired and everything coming in for an MLS Cup game. Just hand out the tickets like two days before to the people lining up or something like that. It's, it's, it's just odd to me that for uh, like this kind of game, you have to line up and sleep overnight for it. Yeah, it, it baffles me. I mean, I, I think back to to cup finals back in Scotland and England and big internationals and stuff when it was general admission and standing and stuff and I don't think you had folk queuing out or something like that I mean kudos to the the folk that shows they're keen I I get that I just think it's a ridiculous situation anyway now let's be honest the game itself was not a classic there was some late drama a little bit of controversy it helped towards the end but All things said and done, it's in the history books now. There is a new name on the MLS Cup. That name is New York City FC, the 17th different club to win the trophy. Franchise. Michael Franchise. Because they are a franchise, actually. I can't use that no, word. I know, but they, but, stuff, but, but, but they are a franchise. If yeah. you look at it in, in any way. Well, yeah, any, it's, it's like Melbourne City down in the A-League. We're just talking about the A-League. So, I mean, yeah. they've, got, they've got their team down there as well. Who also, I believe, won the A League last year. So it's and the, they've done well. The teams are looking. India, things are looking up for the City Football Group. The, yeah, the, the, the team in India won theirs too. Mumbai, uh, whatever oh, wow. city, yeah, they won theirs as well. Yeah, there's what? Is there ten role. clubs now in this group? I have no idea. I don't. I don't keep. Track I think they said on the clubs. broadcast something like 10, cl- 10 clubs are part of it. I mean, it's not something I'm a fan of, but it is impressive in in a way. It's like global dominance, but the kind of thing that doesn't sit comfortably with me. But I don't know. Football's changing. I'm an old-fashioned guy. Yeah, multi-club ownership or multi. Yeah, whatever. It's, I forget the the thing that's there's a. You'd there's never an get multi-club ownership here in Canada, would you, Zach? No, but it's. I mean, it's <laughs> different when you're starting a league. MLS is the same way, but but the way they're doing it around the world, I I don't know. I I mean, obviously, I have. I don't like what Debel's done. Yeah, City, City I, I I like maybe to a, a little bit of a lesser degree in terms of what they've done to, to clubs or whatever. But because at least City is a, a proper football team and it's not just branding for an energy drink. Yeah, well, and they also it started like it's they started in the, their New York branch. They started the club, right? Like it wasn't like they came in and stripped the history and so like they they actually yeah. started, so so in in terms of the two awful teams for MLS that are that are. New York City, quote unquote, teams. Um, they're the lesser of the two evils for sure. I feel it's the way that football is going to be going forward as well. I think it's just something that we might have to get used to. And when folks see the success of the city teams, that they're going to think, "Hey, this is maybe what a piece of that." And you're already seeing it. I'd like to go Ottawa, tied in with Atletico Madrid, and th- these big teams are going to want to do that. I mean that. The key to this is if players then earn big moves, like oh, somebody that was that was playing for for NYC gets to yeah. to get a move to the Premiership, and it's not just used as a farm team because they've 
got all this money and they've bought all this talent and they're just putting it all around the world. Yeah. Let me just clarify. clarify. There are ways, there are ways I think to do it that are not as distasteful and, and, and as good. Right. So yeah, the, the uh, city football group, dead bull. And yeah, your example of, of Atletico Madrid there, that's not my favorite way to do it where everyone wears the same colors. And it's like, it's like, it's the same organization as much as I'm not a, not a huge fan. Um, I like better how Joey Saputo has done his, right? You know, it wasn't like when he bought Bologna, mm. he changed Bologna to have the same identity as Montreal or vice versa, right? I think there are ways that you can... Let's not go oh, down Montreal's identity. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Uh, but there, I think there are ways that, that people can own or, or be involved in more than one club that are that are better than than what's happening in New York and what's happening in, in Ottawa. Although again, in Ottawa to me, again, because of the state of things, I'm not as, I'm not as frustrated by it or not as disappointed in it, I guess. But um, yeah. But New York City FC, they are the new MLS champs. It means that the Whitecaps home opener in March next year is going to be against the MLS cup champs. So that's some good marketing push that they, they've got there. Come see the champs. Of course, why, why would any club tell their fans to come and see the opposition? No club would do something like that. But this is the second first-time winner in the last four years of the MLS Cup. Like I said, it wasn't a classic game, Steve. Just what was your overall thoughts on the game and New York's win? It's not a classic game, but it, I, it, you don't expect it to be because Portland doesn't play. Like They're a very cautious team. Uh, we saw it against Colorado. Um, especially, so you don't expect them to uh, be like all lights out. I think New York City actually actually bought more to the game, the way they were playing the game, attacking and everything like that. And Portland was more reactionary. So yeah, it yeah, wasn't... I was quite surprised. I, I thought NYC might have been a bit more defensive than they were, but they they seemed to think, oh, if we if we can get this opening goal, we're going to be sitting pretty. I think they realized that Portland plays cautious, so they thought maybe press them a little bit and don't just and try to ca- catch them off guard because maybe it was going to take them so and they, they they attacked them the whole ninety well parts for the ninety minutes and they only got one goal so yeah they I guess they had to go they felt like they had to go to get some goals out of mm. it. Well, what was your overall thoughts on it, Zach? Yeah, I think those are fair points. I, I think it was interesting that um, how bad. Um, how bad Portland is when they don't score first or when they go into the half. Yeah, that stat, I, oh, I had shot. to write it down. I put it back to reread it because I was like, what? Yeah, so the got- staggering stat was that in the last three years across all competitions, the t- when the Timbers have trailed at halftime, which they've done 28 times before today, the record is zero wins, five draws and 23 defeats. So now I guess six draws from the, the 29 games. That is a truly terrible and shocking stat. Yeah, it, that, that, I was surprised. I was surprised at that number. And, and they might be the they might be the only team that led after two and lost a game at home as well. <laughs> yeah, because the Whitecaps did that as well. We'll check out those stats. Yeah, um, yeah. I, so that was kind of baffling, and I agree with you. I think that um, I think the city. Came, I think City, like, yeah, I agree with Steve's comments. Like, the City came at them more at the beginning. Like, there was more intentionality and, and 
Um, they offered more like going forward. I don't know if it was the, you know, the nerves of being in front of your home fans of playing against them or, or what, but they weren't, they weren't super creative. They weren't creating. There wasn't a lot of like amazing chances created, but ultimately, I mean, the game, the game was decided uh, really by, I think something we've talked about before in the show. I know I've talked about before in the show, like, Portland has a very poor goalkeeper as their starting yeah, keeper. Yeah. And and I don't understand why they have stuck with him for so long. I thought he was poor when he was with um, Columbus. Um, and he proved that, I think, in multiple ways there. And I think he proved today that he he is not a anywhere near, a, like, the top third of keepers in, in MLS. I mean, but... We're obviously not going to break down the game because I don't think our listenership's really wanting to hear that. NYC's goal, it came in the 41st minute and it was the golden boot winning Tati Castellanos. He headed home, Maxi Morales, in-swinger of a free kick. I mean, it was a good free kick delivery. It was a good header. But as you said, Zach, Steve Clark, oh my, that that was poor goalkeeping. You, you saw that and he's like, oh, he's, he's going to want that back. And then when he gets to the penalties at the end, he's going to want a few of them back as well. The the penalty, like what was strange about the penalties is he stopped to read so many of them, and, and then didn't move. And did, well, yeah, I felt he didn't move, or he got down he well slow. to the right way and got his hand to it, but just yeah. obviously couldn't get any power the, to d- direct him out. The thing that was what was awkward for me was he 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 chose to read the shots as much as possible before committing um so basically staying as he as much as he could you know in the middle and then it came to the last shooter who in their previous shootout had gone down the middle to win it for new york and on that one he chose to kind of look like to me go early mm. like to me if I, I said to kirk i was like kirk obviously obviously if, if i'm him i'm just staying in the middle and reading because this guy yeah. went down the middle last time i think if he, ca- that, he probably stops that shot it kind of looked like he ducked mm. If you look at it again, he looks like he ducks out of the way. The, I guess it's just to pressure the situation because he's probably going to be thinking to himself, if I just stand here and don't move, I'm going to get crucified for for not no, having I, made a play for it. I think it's it was because uh, the, the mentality probably changed a little bit there because of the fact that it wasn't going to be the winning goal if he didn't stop it. It was the last chance. It probably He wanted to react a little bit better to it than he had in the previous goals. Let, let's talk about two of the controversial moments from the game. So after New York City scored, they're over celebrating and it wasn't excessive celebrations. You've scored in a cup final. You deserve to celebrate. Then a bottle came flying down, hit Medina. Afterwards, he said it was neither funky nor cold. (laughs) Um, No love for Jesus in Portland this Christmas, Zach. (laughs) Apparently not. It looked like to me, and I might be wrong, it looked like one of those taller giant beer cans. It was a can. Yeah, yeah. It, uh, and can? it, did, it didn't hit him in the face, but she went down clutching. It did hit, he got his arm up and it hit him on the arm. But still, yeah. it was thrown with some force. And and the thing is, it looked like a full can the way it like, launched into him, too. It's not like one of empty yeah. can either. And it might actually have pushed his hands into his face. Yeah. But it, I mean. It, and, and it could also be like, you know, you hit your face onto the ground or something like that. You, may, you might have knocked your face into it. I, what's the point of like clutching at your face, faking it? Because it's not like anybody's going to give a yellow card or a red card. Or yeah, that's like true. But so. it's, I, well, I don't... But habits die hard. <laughs> true. There's that as well. I mean, the, the fan was found and ejected. Now, 
A, was, I don't was, understand throwing something at a player. But B, why spend that money on a cup final ticket, a rare chance to see well, your team play at fa- home and do that? Yeah, I got offended because you threw a full can of beer. Oh, yeah, that wouldn't be cheap either. Oh, I also, I didn't get clarity, but it, there was two two things thrown, so it must have been two people. Yeah, there was I, another one went flying over and missed them all together. So, yeah, but they, they only mentioned one person, though. Yeah, because it, it was only the one that was hit, but yeah. But there was definitely two things thrown. It, the, it was ridiculous. And the thing is, for me, that turned me at that point because I hate when that kind of thing happens. And I was on the fence. Uh, who to cheer for? And at that point, I, I flipped. I was all in for New York City to ruin their party. I don't. I, I really don't care for people throwing shit on the field of play. The only thing I found awkward about that, Steve, is that like obviously. Like these, whoever threw that, they're not in the, they're not in the, 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 the TA section, right? They're not. Oh, I don't really care. I, I, I just don't but like also, it anything. Also, it's, it's like one or one or two, one or two bad apples in the. I, I told you it was on the fence. And that's all it takes for me to get yeah. off the fence is the one. I, I was just wanting NYC anyway, so I was quite, quite happy with that. But it, it kind of, it's not something you want to see in a game that's getting shown around the world as well. And it's like, oh, what? Why? Why is that still in existence in North America? It's just—it was so stupid, so unnecessary. And like I say, you go, you get a ticket to a cup final, and then you get kicked out for doing that. So that was the first controversial moment towards the end of the first half. The other controversial moment, the end of the second. It was the equaliser for Portland. There was seven seconds left of the four minutes of stoppage time that had been added on by referee Villarreal, and. Portland were pushing. Steve Clark had gone up for for this free kick. The ball's bouncing around in the box. It falls to Felipe Mora. He does well to to finish it. I mean, he, he took it well. Surely that was a foul on Chanot in the build-up to it. It... I've seen it time and again. I've heard the bizarre explanations uh, that were given on the broadcast. That's a clear foul. That I I don't know how VAR does not look at that and call that goal back. Well, the the referee they have on the broadcast that comes in and, and explains yeah, Mark Clattenburg. Yeah, he's he said it's a sure foul. Uh, but at post game, they they definitely said, oh no, that's not a foul. Both uh, Robin uh, Fraser and uh, oh, Alejandro Moreno. Moreno, yeah. Uh, they both said they didn't feel it was a foul because they said they felt like the that he had gotten up there first and he was searching for the ball. Like, but when you clatter into somebody from the back like that, I don't see how you can't call it a foul. Yeah, I mean, I I get it didn't affect the goal per se because that guy wouldn't have stopped Morai getting the shot off. But it doesn't matter if if you're looking at the ball or you're going for the ball. Zach, a foul is a foul. Yeah, I mean, it, there's I guess multiple parts of this. One is, I, I like I personally think it was a foul. I I can understand some like some of what they said. Different people said in terms of, you know, okay, I can like when Robin Fraser says that, I, and maybe not Marino so much. When when Fraser says that, I'm like, okay, that I can, I hear that a little bit. The bigger thing for me though is that it. They, it seemed like uh, their mechanisms acted so quickly at a time where it felt like they needed to slow down and needed to be more critical. 
And as I said to you guys, when, as we were messaging each other, it just felt like they were like, no, we need this to stand. This is good for the, the, the game. It's good for the drama. It's the people get to celebrate a goal. If we call this off, the game's over. It'll be awful. Let's just let it go to extra time. And Can you imagine whatever. how good it would have been if they'd come back from the ad break and they're like, oh, sorry, that the goal didn't count uh, in YC's one? Well, like seriously, though, I mean, like, I don't understand. Like, And then I think, they, Steve, I think you said, I think either at the end of the broadcast or sometime other time, other time, they said, oh, no, VAR checked it. It's 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 yeah. a, It was good, which to me. Oh, I think the referee even told uh, the player that VAR had checked it. Like they mentioned the, the sideline broadcaster. Uh, he had mentioned that because he heard right, what they said right. and he said the referee kept telling him bar checked and it's fine. But to me, it was, it was like it's for something that was so big and so significant the, to, to check it so quickly and say the say it was so conclusive to me. I just it felt it felt awkward and felt like mm-hmm. like, like I said, you guys in the I watch the Bundesliga the most. That's the league I watch the most in the Bundesliga. If that had happened on a goal any time in the game, they would have like there would have been a longer pause. They may not have made the referee come look at it. They may have decided in in, in Cologne in the in their in their their setup, but it, they would have definitely would have been a much longer pause to look at more angles, to double check, to have the whole everyone kind of who's involved with VAR look it all over and make sure it was good to go. Because to me, it just it felt like it was like a very very quick decision on something that was not so not as clear and obvious as they made it sound to be. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but the thing is, if that call had been reversed, can oh. you imagine all the stuff that was thrown on the field at that point? Like you would have seen yeah. chainsaws thrown on the field. <laughs> yeah, but but again, what what are you? Does the referees and VAR VAR exist to to you know make the home fans happy or no. to to get the? Call no, I'm not. I'm not saying it, that. I'm saying I'm saying if it's made a joke. Oh yeah, no, I can, yeah. I can, ima- I can imagine I mean, how crazy things. After are. that, I didn't see NYC scoring in extra time. I thought if anyone's going to score, no. it's probably going to be Portland. I, and, I was... and, they, and they look rattled too. Yeah, uh, like in, in, especially the beginning of extra time. Yeah, they need to calm down yeah. a bit. I thought we were oh. going to have to call this episode double asterisk because Portland's yeah. two wins were were clouded in controversy, but thankfully it didn't get to that. It got to the the shootout. Alexander Callens hit the winning penalty for four two for New York City. We won't talk too much more about it, but there was some horrible, horrible penalties in there and some poor goalkeeping from Clark, as we talked about. But some of those spot kicks, nerves, I guess, but they were funny, poor. The funny thing is the two youngest players that took the penalties, they were had the cleanest ones. Mm, uh, yeah. The youngest guy from, uh, I can't remember their names right now. Yeah, that 19-year-old guy that they've, they've got that, that scored the... The goal either from, Port- the from Brazil, or, yeah, right from Brazil, and then the uh, the Portland kid as well. He he he, his penalty was clean as well. But yeah, the, some of the veterans. They I was really Sean Johnson. Oh my God! Like he, the way he spread out there, like he took it full advantage. And I like the point that uh, uh, Taylor Tolman made in his thing that being off the line, being behind, he has a chance to jump to get that. He has more of a chance to leap instead of being bolted the line. Staying behind the line is more important for him. Yeah, he. Um, I was really sad for Diego Valeri that that's how his his time in Portland has come to an end. Uh, I, I really thought when I really thought there's a chance that he could come on even as late as he did and and play the hero. Um, the funny thing to me is they waited so long to put him on, and then when he's about to be substituted, on, they were pushing him on the field. Yeah, getting him on the field. Yeah, like, hurry up, hurry up! But that is it. Johnson and Johnson, the two saves from him. Inject that in my veins. 
it stopped Portland lifting an MLS Cup on home turf. I mean, that we we saw the Voyagers Cup cruelly taken away from us at BC Place with that horrendous stoppage time winner for TFC, Will Johnson's goal. I mean, that was heartbreaking. So to lose a cup in your home stadium, it's tough. To lose the MLS Cup in your home stadium, that is a that is a tough blow. What a shame. <laughs> I, was wearing, is... I was wearing the shirt when when that happened. Oh, oh. <laughs> but that's the 2021 MLS season done and dusted in the history books. Just to wrap this part up, Steve, how do you look back in this season? Did you enjoy it? Was it one of the better ones for you? It did feel it just dragged on a bit. Yeah, sorry, I just had to stop playing the smallest violin for um, Portland there. Um, uh, 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 I, I, for the season, it there were moments it felt like it was. It, every season seems like it drags on. It seems because it is a very long season. Luckily, we were entertained with some uh, Canada games in the, in there in between uh, that helped it along. But um, I think. I think it was more because it felt like dragging on because of the fact that the team wasn't in Vancouver. Hmm. I think if it was in Vancouver, I think it might have been a little bit different. But the fact that we spent half the year without them, uh, it probably. But that last stretch, obviously for the for Vancouver side, we'll talk about that. I guess I recap that later. Um, that was great. It, it's it's getting harder and harder to track all the teams in MLS, unfortunately, and and like I have. Basically, New York City FC, this might be the first time I saw them all year, except for highlights in a game. It's hard to keep track of the Eastern Conference teams. So yeah. It's going to be to the point where there's two MLS leagues. There's a Western and an Eastern League. And then you meet, you see each other in the finals, basically. Yeah, I was going to say the same thing, actually, Steve, is that uh, it, it is weird that, yeah, the there are the, when you play the East so so little, it is like there there is two leagues. And uh, yeah, obviously, I spend less time, fo- you know, f- focusing on watching games and, and highlights from the East, except for Toronto and Montreal occasionally. But um, yeah, it, it is it is kind of weird. And I agree with you that the season kind of did drag on for seems like forever. Um, the big it, gap between the season finishing and the playoff starting obviously didn't help either. But no, yeah. what you can do is I'd rather that than then play through the international window obviously but yeah you can't do that Uh, it'll be interesting to see what happens next year when they start early and then Mm. end early for the world cup right like that i know the schedule i think comes out next or this wednesday yeah wednesday it's it's out so that should be interesting for for me pretty much the same it's like there's only so many hours in the day and i know it's funny me saying that since i'm sitting watching australian league games they just happen to fit in with i'm a night owl so they they're shown late at night, the early hours of the morning when I'm up and around doing stuff anyway, so it's easy to put it on. It is hard to, to follow. But MLS's back was great because TSN showed all the games. I know DAZN show the games, but it's not so easy to kind of fast-forward through the games on that, whereas if they're on TSN, you can PVR it and just quickly fast-forward through a game. And I, I watched lots of the western games for the show and just highlights and full games like steve i don't know before the playoffs if i saw an nyc game that wasn't against toronto or montreal i probably didn't yeah actually. yeah I, we we answered that we we didn't have time to recap them on the show yeah. either There's, we couldn't recap very many mls games unless it was like uh bringing up my inter miami uh prediction oh regularly. Yeah. 
That was oh, the only time we were able to recap. I, I won't bring that up because my prediction was Ronnie Dalia would get fired from NYCFC before the oh, end of the season and Frank Lampard would take over. A couple, couple of last comments about the MLS Cup, though. I just, I just realized this right now. You can cut it out if you want to. Um, the fact that the emotion on the coaching staff or in New York City oh. FC, that looked like, like, didn't it look like a, a team that, like, like, we mentioned plastics all the mm-hmm. time? Uh, it seemed like a real team there. And then, the ABC commentator, ESPN commentator, mentioning like as they're about to like go go away, is this a flash in the pan? Can they repeat? And thank God, Alejandro Marino said, "Can you let them enjoy the time right now instead of jumping into next year?" And yeah. like, it's American broadcasters are very weird, like the way they want to just jump into next year and, and sometimes even criticize the team for being a flash in the pan or whatever. Oh, we should also say a big well done as well to Efrain Juarez, assistant coach at New York City <laughs> FC. Oh, well, of course. Well done, Effie. Now he's got a new something else to tell his grandkids. Yes. <laughs> Celtic connection to the four. So I'm, I'm claiming Scotland won the MLS Cup. So oh, my. It, any tenuous link there. But that is it for our chat about that. But it's not it for our chat about MLS. We will be back looking at some of the big MLS news of the week. Some of the stuff that came out of Don Garber's State of the League address and a lot more. We'll be back with that after this. Hi, I'm Mike Dean. You're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our Artist of the Month here at AFTN for December from the Isle of Wight, Wet Leg. And that is a song that they just released a couple of weeks ago, Oh No. And I thought, oh, I'm going to have to be playing that song because I'm going to be going, oh no, the Timbers have won another MLS Cup. But thankfully, no. We can just play the song and enjoy it instead. So we talked about the MLS Cup in the last part. We're going to continue with some other MLS news of the week that's not MLS Cup related. So Commissioner Don Garber held a State of the League address this week. And to be honest, there wasn't a lot of big talking points coming out of it. He rambled on for about 20 minutes to begin with and then took 15 questions, I think, overall it was... Um, None from any Canadian journalists, although there was a few of us on the call. 
And it was the usual stuff. Second question of the whole thing was, what's happening in New York City FC Stadium? Every single state they address, that question gets asked. He was asked about how well Austin had done, uh, the All-Star game going to Minnesota. He was asked about the whether he feels that the league is competitive with Liga MX. And curious for your take on this one before we get into some other stuff. He said, if you speak to any of the, the Liga MX owners, they will know that MLS is competitive with the Mexican teams. And I'm thinking, do they really think that? I don't, you know, it's hard for them to believe, like, that. it's hard to believe that they actually believe that, mm. um, that they believe that they're competitive. I would say definitely not at the top. At the top, they're definitely not competitive. Maybe in the middle and at the bottom levels, maybe they're somewhat competitive, but not at the top. I guess we've got the League's Cup coming up in a couple of years, so that'll kind of just see exactly how competitive everyone is, because there's going to be 48 teams taking part in that one, so that's going to be interesting. Um, very little Canadian content in the in the whole state of the league address. I, I do want to read this quote that he gave. I'm curious for Zach's thoughts on this. Garber said, I said in 2006, 2007, when I was up in Canada in a press conference in a hotel in Toronto, we will not rest until Canada qualifies for the World Cup, because the real value to having our teams in Vancouver and Montreal and Toronto is to help develop the Canadian national team, and they've done that. You can see the success of the Canadian national team. So is it all down to the MLS team, Zach? Hmm. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, this is, I mean, I mean, if you're Don Garber, this is a smart thing to say, and he's said it for years. Uh, I, I'm pretty sure I've told at least you guys the story. It's not in, on the on the show. Uh, at the 2015 Women's World Cup final, I was on Terry Fox Plaza, and Garber was walking up to the stadium to you know to go to the game, and he and he saw me wearing Canada stuff, and he said, "Oh, come!" He, it was awkward. He's like, "Let's take a picture holding the Canada scarf or whatever," and I was like, "Oh, this is awful," and I got a lot of flack on Twitter for it, but <laughs> rightly, rightly so. I tried to make I tried to make a certain look, which I made once before. A time I'll tell you I'll tell you about later. But um, no, he said then he said he said then to me what he what he the same thing he kind of said to you, Michael. He says this: Canada is my legacy. Is how he talks about it. <laughs> how he talks about it. But again, it's kind of like what else would you say? Like I mean, it's of course you want it, that's of course you want that to be to to be compared to you doing you you and your league doing good good in the country. The bottom line is this. This is how I'll put it, Michael, and I'll put it as simple as I can for now. I think that the improvement of the Canadian game uh, has a relation to the MLS uh, clubs clubs in Canada being in MLS. I think there are those, and Don Garber would be definitely one of them, who overestimate the uh, contribution that MLS has made to the Canadian men's national team's rise. However, I think there are also those who underestimate MLS's contribution to the rise of, uh, to, to the Canadian men's national team rise overall. And I think the truth rallies somewhere in the middle, middle. Yes, it plays a role. It has played a role. It will continue to play a role, but hopefully and ideally it will continue or it will play less of a role as the nation's own league continues to grow and ideally flourish. Yeah, 
I I have a couple of points on that as well. Um, number one, and and I'll make try to make it as quick as possible. The, the you see now that MLS is in full effect and everything, and with CPL and stuff like that, you see less unattached when you look at the yeah. M, the the international team roster. So there's less unattached players, uh, unattached FC. So that's one thing. The other thing I will mention though, uh, uh, and I I feel though that if MLS did not have their stupid rules, that I think Canada would be even further along than what they are right now. Um, so, like, especially if they had, like, got rid of that rule about Canada being, Canadian players being international players in, in the U.S. I think that that would have was been better off later on. But the one thing I will mention, though, is that uh, one example is Alfonso Davies. Yes, I know MLS did not, Alfonso Davies was going to be a great player anyways, but I think if Alfonso Davies did not come through um, Vancouver, that he wouldn't have had that platform to show the European teams how good he was. And I think he would have probably started off in Europe in a, a lesser team and not jumped right to Bayern Munich. So I think that's beneficial there that the, the you know, that platform to showcase some of these top players in a big league like this helps get those players to Europe. And I think that's beneficial as well. No, that's fair. Um, what what the, the like the league can be much maligned for a, a number of things and and rightly so, but in these three cities it has given a professional place for players to play, and I know over the years some clubs have played Canadians more than others, and the the Whitecaps in, in recent years you certainly can't knock the fact that they have actually stood up and, and done what they said they wanted to do and they've given a large chunk of their roster over to Canadian talent. And yeah. they're maybe not always playing, but they they are there. They're in a professional environment. So, I mean, it has helped in some way. Yeah, I, 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 don't, I certainly I, don't I, think they can take no, all the they credit. Can't take, no, definitely not. Are just I, now. I think also the the fact that, like, the top players would always play football in, in Europe or whatever. Like the, Yeah, the, well, I like, look at before. Jonathan David. Yeah. Didn't, didn't come through MLS, went exactly. to Europe, succeeded. But the fact that there's three MLS teams and now CPL teams, those players that might not be seeing a future in Europe, maybe they don't feel they're good enough. Maybe they now see that they're good enough maybe for MLS and CPL. Like they're, they they don't, they realize like, you know how you, the top players are knew they were going to be something. Yeah. Now there's a place for those, those middle tier players in those, you know, U9, U10, U11 leagues that they can aspire to. And that's where, the, these leagues are important as well. Yeah, I think though that yeah, it's hard to say that MLS itself is like there's not a lot of. It doesn't feel like there's a ton of players when you go through the national team roster that are straight from MLS into the national team. Like a lot of them have taken like a you know like I think of like a Sam right like he yeah he was in MLS but he was also sort of either not good mm-hmm. enough for MLS and slash MLS wasn't good enough for him. And, you know, he went to Europe. He didn't make his break into the – he didn't make his true break into the national team until he had, like, cut his teeth in Europe, right? And, like, not just at a – on loan, like, at a at a club where he actually did stuff. And so I think when you look at the, the roster, yeah, there are some, like, let's say, like a Maxime Crepeau or, or a Jonathan Rosario or whatever. But I think there there is a much more varied path than, like – 
then then yeah, get into an MLS team and then you'll make the national team, right? But, but where where would Sam have been if there wasn't an MLS team? That's the thing. Like, would he? Have yeah, been, he probably might where not would, have got that move to. to maybe Europe. he would be. He maybe would have got to USL, which is a lower level and stuff like that. So not enough eyes are on him. And then because he was in MLS, maybe that Norwegian team or or whatever I can't remember what country he went to first. I think it was Norway. He went to England first. Yeah, England, but oh, then yeah. Norway. He eventually settled in England, Norway, didn't he? Yeah, for a while? yeah, but he was had a, he had no, that loan loan yeah. spell in, in England. No, but but maybe that Norway Norwegian team doesn't look at him because of the fact that he was playing at USL and not MLS. Maybe because mm. oh, he's in MLS. Let's take a look at him, and maybe that got him the ball rolling. I'm not saying for sure that MLS is the. I agree with you. It's somewhere in the middle, Zach. Like, that, yeah. It's it's not like the end all, be all, and end all, but it's also not like nothing. Nothing. Either. Yeah. And as much as we want the Canadian Premier League to be producing players for the national team as well, for that to truly happen on a good scale, they they need to sort the salary structure out because as long it, as the salary is as poor as it is, you're not going to be attracting the top talent. Yeah, and it just feels dirty that Don Garber mentions it. That's the only part that yeah, really, yeah, uh, it probably is that. Yeah, it's a little bit. It's a little bit like like. Uh, the Whitecaps, you know, as much as possible, mention everything about Alfonso Davies. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The the big talk in the State of the League address, though, was expansion, as it usually is every year. And we know that Charlotte are, are coming in as the 28th team. St. Louis are coming in as the 29th team. And they've said they're going to 30. And Las Vegas is now officially the clear front runner to be that 30th team. Phoenix and San Diego are still in the mix. But to, actually today on the, the broadcast, Garber said that you could maybe expect an announcement about this 30th team in maybe the first quarter of 2022. So it looks likely that it's going to be Vegas. He said he's been blown away with what is happening with pro sports in the city. And I can understand that because... It did puzzle me for years as to why Vegas didn't have pro sports teams because you you think of the sports betting that's out of there for for one thing and just that's the, the that's the reason why is the it because were, of that yeah because the leagues were against betting and everything oh. like that they were like they tried to take gambling out of it because they felt like gamblers were going to influence the games so that's why they oh, stayed out of Vegas okay. a lot so that's the reason why but I mean what they've done in that city for sport over the, the last couple of years has has been very impressive. Garber said they've looked at this city before, maybe five, six, even seven times, but he said that the current approach is the one that they feel most confident in, and there's still no plans to expand beyond 30, but never say never, nudge, nudge, wink, wink. But that, but that's, that can't be true, right? Like I, San Diego and Phoenix are both worthy cities to, to have MLS teams so if you're if if there were these cities and you're saying we're capped at 30 you're either oh. moving teams from places that they, they no, shouldn't gonna, be or you open it up to 32 they're just talking right now like that if they're yeah. gonna they're gonna go to 32 a lot of the sports Indeed. leagues now go to 32 because then you have 16 on each side yeah and it, and you can almost have like a, a a you know place 15 30 games interconference and then you play four games across the conferences as like your big rivalry kind of thing. So I, I don't, I, I think 32, you're going to get. Can, can we have a moment of silence for Sacramento and the Republic? Oh, yeah. yes. Who, who I'd just, actually forgotten all about them. 
I think they just re-signed their manager or something. I saw. Uh, yeah, I feel so so bad for that. The one thing, the one so thing, there, I'm, but yeah, I'm I'm not surprised that Garber was blown away with Vegas. Uh, do you think Vegas is a good idea for for the team? Zach, I mean, visiting fans are going to love it, so they're always going to have lots of visiting fans and tourists. And but does it become a something of a spectacle then, bit of a circus, a sideshow uh, almost? But no, I I oh, sir. I think it can be a very positive thing if done well, right? I mean, oh, hopefully, hopefully the team is run a little bit different than what's the, what's the maybe still there? What's the USL team? Las Vegas there? Lights. Lights, yeah, yeah. still around. Yeah, yeah, they're okay. they're did interesting. They throw, <laughs> did they throw money from a helicopter? A helicopter? Yeah. yeah, and they, they did a they did a few unique. They've had some there. very interesting promotional things. Yes. The yeah, thing is, with Vegas, it gets really hot in the summer there, so it, it definitely needs to be an indoor stadium. And if it's an indoor stadium, I'm sure you get a lot of people just buying tickets to get air conditioning uh, for those two, three hours you're there. It, it, it will be, I think, the one thing that is nice is for away supporters is my understanding, because I, I still haven't been to Vegas. I've been to, we stayed a night in Reno on our way uh, after we were in Sacramento, actually, on that trip many years ago. But... Um, is that it's an affordable place to get to for most people. Yeah, it's very cheap to fly there. Hotels are, are pretty cheap as well. Not not as cheap on the weekends as during the week, but if you have a midweek game down there, it's gonna yeah. be like pretty cheap to get down there. Yeah, so I think I think it'll help it can it can help the league with that. And in particular Western Conference too. I think it's it when you have a when you have a place like that where it's like everyone wants to go to the city for other reasons, anyways, and it like it can help grow your away culture for your club and away culture is like i think really really important in supporter culture yep. in general and so hopefully <laughs> i'm just i'm just concerned about how many away supporters are making to the game then by, yeah. by the how many the make on. it back <laughs> might have to scalp their tickets in order to pay off their gambling debts but that's still that's already an issue in other cities from my experience with some friends sometimes I mean, yeah, you're saying there as well, folk want to go there. Folk want to come to Vancouver as well, because I don't know if you saw the MLSPAs, they've been doing the results of their player survey this week. And Los Angeles was the number one city that players love to go and visit and play in. And Vancouver was number two. Really? I don't think it's because they get lots of points when they come here. Maybe in previous seasons. But yeah, that was the second most popular city. That was surprising players, when I saw Players that. love to... To come to Vancouver. Well, what about the turf? Did they do it? They asked about the turf. I think it's more the city that just the fact that they 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 oh, love okay. to of come course. and see of the course. scenery and it's if, if they get a chance to stay stay overnight or a couple of days and explore the city. It's a beautiful city to come to. It is one of the most picturesque cities in North America. But to to be second, I was a little bit surprised because obviously it's so north north. Well, obviously it's North America. It's so American centric that I was like, oh. I'm surprised that we beat out the likes of like New York or something. Mm -hmm. Well, the teams don't play in the greatest places in New York. So that there's there's going to be uh, new MLS teams coming in in the next couple of years. So it's going to be a new league as well, a new MLS league, MLS Next Pro, the Reserve Stroke Under Twenty Three League. It's finally been announced. The Whitecaps will be one of 21 professional clubs taking part in the inaugural season. 20 of the clubs are MLS 2 sides, so linked to MLS teams. 
and there's a standalone independent side. Bring they, back the Raging Rhinos. Yeah, Jamie Vardy co-owned the yeah. revived Rochester Rhinos. I don't think they're raging anymore. I think they're just yeah. Rhinos. Does this league give you the horn? <laughs> it's This is weird, man. Like, the name is weird. Well, I, it's because MLS Next is their new version of USSDA. And obviously yeah. that's for the kids. So this is the pathway. So it's... MLS Next Pro because right. it's going to be professional. So the plus guys are getting are we, paid. Are we, are we plus gonna, NXT was taken. <laughs> yes. Are we going to just call it MLS NP? Is that what it's going to be called? MLS NP? Or MNP? Yeah, MNP. Mm. Yeah. I don't know. You need something that's it's a bit of a mouthful. It's, it's awkward. Um, it, so they have zero now. The MLS formerly has zero connection with USL, right? Well, not all the clubs are switching right away. So some of the, the two teams will still be in USL next year, like LA Galaxy 2, right? A, a, as an example. So the Whitecaps are in the West, and there's 11 teams in the West. So they're in with Colorado, Dallas, Houston, KC, Minnesota, Portland, Salt Lake, San Jose, Seattle, and St. Louis. Now, out of the 11 teams... There's existing USL sides, so there's like Timbers 2, the Real Monarchs, Sporting Kansas City 2, who used to go under Swope Park Rangers, North Texas SC, Tacoma Defiance, which is the, the Sounders team. But there's going to be new sides started, so it's Colorado, Houston, Dallas, St. Louis, Minnesota and Vancouver are all starting new teams. Um, there's 24 league games per club. Eight teams will make the playoffs, culminating in a cup final. So it's going to be a proper competitive league. When the reserve league was here before, it was just nonsense. It didn't really mean anything. It was just a, a chance for some players to get a run out and to get some minutes and get some fitness levels up. So at least they're playing for something. Um, Adidas will serve as MLS Knicks Pro's first corporate sponsor. Ali Curtis is going to be the Senior Vice President of Competition and Operations. So that was a little bit of a surprise. He's, yeah, because he used to work for MLS, right? Yeah. Yeah, before his deadbolt days. So, I mean, they're treating it as a proper league. But I, I want to read you a quote from Garber from the State of the League before we kind of talk about that. So he said, as, as you saw regarding the announcement, uh, he says it's an exciting, competitive league for both investors and communities that don't have a professional team and want to see the most promising young players in the US and Canada competing in a top-class professional environment. It will be driven by innovation both on and off the field. And then this set alarm bells ringing for me when he said, imagine the things that we can do with technology, with new ideas in this new league. Uh, and then he basically just went to focus the the next generation of players, front office staff, broadcasters, all that kind of stuff. So a couple of things to unpack from that. First of all, he's talking about it's a chance for markets that don't have an MLS team. So they might be pushing some of the MLS sides to, to go into nearby cities like Seattle's and Tacoma, for example, and, and have their sides there could be a chance for, say, a Phoenix or a San Diego of, okay, I know you're in USL, but this could be your stepping stone to show what you can do by by being an independent club in this. I, I don't hate that, but it does feel they could be a, I don't want to say fake clubs, but 
the the authenticity might not be there with some of the teams. Yeah, because there's no promotion relegation, it's it's not a really a, a true second division league the way you. Well, want. USL isn't either though. Yeah, but yeah, oh, I I hear you on that. They can't unless they're having behind the scenes discussions that they're like they they feel they can't have publicly that hey long term we do want to have our own MLS full American structure right where MLS MLS is the is the top league and then we have two or three divisions below it that we own operate whatever like it it, it doesn't yeah it feels really meaningless to to, to someone like me. Uh, if ultimately their goal is to say, yeah, we're going to, everyone's going to have second teams. We're going to start on this. And then like five or 10 years down the road, we'll, you know, we'll have three leagues and like your second team can only be like in the third division max. And we're going to have, you know, we're going to have promotion and relegation. So yeah, that team in Phoenix that joined us as an independent team or the Rochester Rhinos, they can actually get into them. Like unless that is actually what they're actually doing, which they're not saying publicly, which I totally understand why they wouldn't be saying that publicly, even if it wasn't their plan. That's really the only way I would see any value or meaning meaning in this. I mean, when you looked at, yeah, I mean, just in Vancouver, WFC2 so lacked meaning and purpose, right? Even when it was in yeah. a proper actual league. Uh, but part, I mean, part of that was stadium location and other things, but it just, it, it feels hard to take this seriously at the moment, although... I assume it will become more and more serious in the in the weeks and months ahead. Yeah, because there's still a lot of things to, to get sorted out with it, Steve. I, I think it's good yeah. for the USL. I think it lets the USL become a proper league and not have these second teams in it. I I mean, it's going to probably be a, a, a good... Like, when they start adding more independent teams, it is going to be a, a, a choice for people. Do I want to be involved with MLS? Do I want to be involved with USL? Yeah, I am personally well, excited that a Whitecaps two team is coming back. Yeah, I'm I'm just concerned that they're going over the top on this league. Like, they're going to need to be this, you know, spectacular. I, I'm I'm a little concerned with that. That by going this route, that you're going to have a lot of teams that are not going to do well, and it could cause issues in the long term. Like, I'm well, not you're going to have teams that's probably just using it to get their young guys minutes and development and playing time. And yeah, you're going to have other teams that's going to, oh, I want to win this. I want to take yeah, a trophy and the, home. And the, and, the, and the problem thing is there, then, then you're overselling it. Then you got to be careful about how you're selling this as a competitive league when you know that some teams are not going to be that competitive. Um, they're just looking to kind of develop players. So I'm just, I'm just overly concerned. They should honestly tag it as a reserve league. And that's about it. I don't, I, I just, the way they're just branding it, it just concerns me with the way they're taking it. So we'll I see guess how it goes. If they brand it Reserve League, though, it kind of lo loses a little bit right off the bat and folk are like, oh, it's just a second tier. Because who really wants to go and watch Reserve Football in Nor North America? I don't but think there who, is a huge demand for that. Who, I, I don't see a big demand to watch. Like, people are going to still see it as Reserve League. You're just, you're just branding it. Uh, yeah, but again, it depends where they maybe have it. Because it's like, because Seattle's in Tacoma, so you've got the Tacoma community that that go out yeah, and maybe, watch their team there. Maybe that works then. I'm not sure where, Vancouver's still going to be in Vancouver. Yeah, Vancouver's see, the interesting one. And I don't see very many people coming out to that league uh, I mean, to watch that game. For me, for the Whitecaps point of view, you, you've got 12 home games. And it would make sense for me that you play those out of Swan Guard because you've got the nostalgia factor, it's a great stadium, it's grass, you get good acoustics, it's good for broadcast, yeah. because that is the thing as well, because 
he talked about the streaming platforms and all these games are going to be getting streamed. So these games can't get played out off some pitch up at UBC. No, no. They're going to have to play in a proper stadium. Obviously, Thunderbird Stadium would also work, but... No, but I agree with you. If it's Swangard, then that that does take it away, like... That changes it a little bit for, for me. That's it does if, move it up a notch. Yeah, if they don't get Swangard, then I don't like playing at UBC is not going to be effective at all. No, I mean, I guess it depends how much they want to market it, Zach. How much they want to get fans in. How much they want to have this one year step on a Greater Vancouver CPL side, as a, as an example. Do they want to go and try and hit the Langley Surrey market and get in there and get in a stadium there? Should they? Mm, yeah, uh, I don't know. That's, it, it, of course, they'll want to do that, right? But can you when it's like, again, like that's partly what I said at the very beginning of this. The name is weird. The, the name is weird because it sounds like they're so hard trying to be like, we're pro. Mm. <laughs> that When it's not pro, like it's not the same thing as what people think are uh, as pro, right? Um, then Im- and then imagine if somebody uses, you know, how they say MLS soccer, then they go MLS soccer next pro. <laughs> yeah. They had the soccer there. It's, not, it's not snappy. So, but no, I mean, Vancouver, the Vancouver Whitecaps have an opportunity to, to a second chance at a second team. Hopefully they do a much better job than they did the first time because I Maybe think. Maybe they'll get in yeah. touch with New West. <laughs> I mean, that would be a better location for them for sure. But um, I'm just, I'm just looking forward to my certificate. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, if you if you like the Whitecaps, then yeah, I think that this this is a, a great thing. And the, the people who like that and like going out to that before will go to this. But to I mean, from a playing point of view, is getting vital yeah. place for these yeah. young guys to actually get some meaningful matches and, and having some place for you know people recovering from injuries to go yep. out, and so it, it can provide people an opportunity to see. Because it isn't solely for youth; it's not solely under twenty three. Because no. senior players and like, it's up to clubs how they want to use it. But to me, like, I don't know, I'm for BC communities and, and soccer supporters, soccer fans. I'm more excited about League One BC, you know, than, than I am. But about- is there not a danger that there's just there's too much happening in this area? Because you're going to have CPL side in 2023, Whitecaps 2 in 2022, League One BC in 2022, with seven teams coming in. That's a lot of football for people to get out and support yeah there's going to be eight new teams and what however many four five of them are in the lower mainland in in 2022 that yeah. is big yeah and then a, and then a, and then an even bigger one in 2023 hopefully. yeah and so it, it is it is a lot but it's again how it's about how it's done and so far i'm really encouraged by what i've heard from league one bc and the white caps haven't you know declared what they're doing or haven't finalized what they're doing so there's nothing to be impressed about or whatever, but there is, I would, I don't know. I would be, cons- there's, if it, if it goes any way at all, like WFC two, it, it'll be, it'll, it'll, it'll be really disappointing. I hope they've learned from their mistakes there. And I, I, I genuinely think if they can get into Swan Guard, so many of those issues are sorted right away because it's easy to get to. And you've got the history and you've got all those kind of things so we'll see how that plays out. A couple of other just quick things. that The 2021 MLS Showcase has been taking place in Arizona this week. And I'm only mentioning that because I saw a very interesting tweet that I couldn't then find when I was putting the rundown together. 
The inaugural one took place in 2019. And out of all the players that took part in it, only nine players found their way onto an MLS roster in 2021. Three of those nine players are on the Whitecaps squad. David Egbo, Javain Brown, Ryan Raposo. So a third of the players that made it through that showcase are Whitecaps. That surprised me. Maybe we should keep an eye on that. Maybe that is a place that the Whitecaps are doing some scouting. But anyway. Um, last little bit for this part. And I don't think this will take too long. We spoke in last week's show that all the drafts uh, are coming up this week. The expansion drafts, waiver drafts, re-enter drafts, etc, etc. All the clubs, apart from the two MLS Cup finalists at the time of recording this, have announced all their roster decisions. So I sent the list to you of everyone that had been, like, contracts expired, options declined, free agents. And I said, come up with any players that you'd love to have in Vancouver and any that realistically you think that the, the Whitecaps might make a play for. And I'll be honest with you, there is not many. For me, it's a, a lot, uh, quite a bit of uh, fullbacks that I could see, and it depends on if they're, I don't know if these guys are, are domestic or international, um, and maybe one centre-back I saw out of all the lists. Wow, you, you come up with more than I did then. So who, who have you got, okay. Steve? So, and these are not all realistic, and I don't know even know if they are, like I said, domestic, but like I, I mentioned before, Raheem Edwards. Yeah, uh, would be a player bring in. He seems uh, the best one from from all all the things that we've got. He can play left wing, left midfield, left back. He's twenty six, twenty seven uh, appearances, and he's on under a hundred thousand, and he's out of contract at LAFC. And again, some of these other guys, I have no idea what their contract is, so they might that might be viewed anyways. But uh, like, what am I bringing Stephen Bateshaw back as a backup, a veteran backup, if possible? Um, I don't know how we fit in with this system, but uh, Alvis Powell as well, O'Neill Fisher, Kevin uh, Laramie. I think it's Laramie. I can't. I can't read my own writing. That's, that's uh, the that's the guy that does the Two Solitudes podcast. Oh, Kelvin, Kelvin, Kelvin. Oh, I don't even know what I spelled there. I was I was scribbling it down, and then uh, Drew Moore, centre back, might be an option depending on what he's on. Is he not like thirty seven now or something? I have no idea. But I like as a veteran, like a like a fifth like centre back on the roster. Something Drew Moore, you know Drew Moore. I think Colorado says uh, that Drew Moore they've they're having negotiations with him, even though his deal is done or whatever. Okay, then maybe that's fine. Uh, other than that, you're right. There wasn't very much. I thought maybe Scott Caldwell as a midfielder, but I don't. I don't see that as even an option. No, see, there was a there was a Caldwell was one of them. There's a couple I saw, but they're attacking midfielders. Yeah, and because we've got Ryan, I I don't think we really need and, to and Pedro Vite another. Yeah, and Vite as well. So I don't think we can go down that. The only the only striker I saw on there, and I I, I think he's he would be an international, so I wouldn't be interested. It was Kubo Torres. Um, uh, from Atlanta, that's the only player I saw there, and and I don't, I don't, I don't think he's got a green card, so there's no point in even bringing him in. Well, I mean, obviously, Will Bruin is available, but then I saw he was on four hundred fifty thousand. He's still yeah. just thirty-two, but I, think, I was like, I wow, if it was older money, than Michael. That. I don't think that's a lot of money. I, but I don't, I don't see him as being a fit here because I don't no. see them looking for that big. I feel we need a tall striker if we, we want to go. Like, but you Albert, need somebody with mobility too. You just can't have somebody yeah. just. 
plodding around. They're playing two strikers, so you, I think you need one that's big and one that's yeah. mobile. Maybe. Minnesota have got rid of Fernando Addy. He's only on 81,000, but he has also only scored five goals in the last four seasons. That's why they and got rid of him. three of those were in one of the seasons. He's bound to come good, Michael. Yeah. Juan Agudelo, I, I, like, since... Since Zach tipped him for the golden boot, he has just been terrible. Juan Agudelo, who's a guy that I liked for years, no goals and no assists this past year, only started one game. He's on 212,000, but... Yeah, yeah. The, the depth players they got to bring in have to be from the lower leagues, USL. They've got to get some find some gems in there. And I mentioned before the... The one fullback from Calvary. I don't know what his update on him is. I, don't, I can't remember his Mo, name. Mo Farsi? Yeah, that's it. Mm-hmm. He's out of contract there too. So that's somebody I definitely would want to bring. If you could bring him in and Raheem Edwards as backup fullbacks, I think you're well you're well suited, set up. Mm-hmm. And then you don't have to worry about using international spots like on a Bruno Gaspar. Like that's something you want to avoid if you can bring in young Canadian players in there. I think Ed, Edwards is a great shout, as we've talked about before on the podcast. I think that um, uh, I think you bring up an interesting point with when you mentioned Alvis Powell and Stephen Betasher, and even though Beta I think is too old to be a starter for anything. No, I don't. I don't see him as a starter. No, no, no. I know, I know. But I, one of those as a uh, a uh, your second choice at right back, I think could be good, especially if that means you move on from Gudino. I think we do need to have a moment of silence. Uh, for uh, the ending of Rudy Camacho's contract in Montreal. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought you'd be keen to bring him here. You seemed a big stuff. fan. The, 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 year mean, long, the year-long testimonial is over. I mean, I didn't mind that time he hit that guy. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, I have no interest in Rudy Camacho. Ayo Akinola since... was getting linked a little bit with uh, the White Caps. Oh, someone asked you uh, us on no. Twitter, I mean, all no. of us, about Daniel Royer from Dead Bull. And mm-hmm. I, I didn't. I, I initially responded, but he asked about his um, potential chemistry with Brian White, and I forgot to look into like, did they have chemistry when White was there? Well, they played together, so I know. Maybe. But he was but, one that he, I, you know, it could also be lack of chemistry. That's why they got rid of Brian White as well. Um, the um, the player that I was thinking about, oh, Raheem Edwards. Um, there's a chance that he also could go to TFC as well uh, because of the fact that. Uh, uh, Michael uh, Bob Bradley's there now, yeah. and he was real AFC, so that might happen as well. Uh, so the, the thing is with uh, the, your mentioning of uh, Rudy Camacho, ever since that opening podcast we had with after the opening game with the Montreal writer, I, I, I don't recall his name right now, but ever since Paul then, I've, I've never noticed Rudy Camacho more this year. Like then after that interview, it's amazing how much he pops up in all your. In all, you should have been paying attention in other years because he, yeah, I should he have been focal focal point for a lot of bad yeah. things. Yeah, I mean, anyone else stand out for you, Zach? I, it does feel that like these are guys that the Whitecaps aren't going to have any interest, and in. most years we don't. And that if we are going to get anyone from within the league, it's going to be trading for it, giving up Gam or a player or both or something. So uh, I, maybe I'm missing someone, but. There's three players we also need to have a moment of silence for, and that is uh, Wando, Moro. Oh, yes, Wando's retired. And Matt Beasler. Oh, Beasler. Who was the second one? Uh, Moro, Justin Moro in Toronto. Oh, yeah. Was there anyone else? I, I might have missed it. No, oh, Jordy, Jordy, Jordy Rain is available. Yeah, he is. So, so, so is, is Freddie Montero. So is Jordan Harvey. Yeah. 
Let's get the, the old gang back together again for the White Caps too. In, in the A League in tour. Australia, maybe uh, one one person I don't know his situation or whatever uh, I forgot to mention was um, Costa Rican center back Calvo. I don't think he's that old, is he? I he, he, I, I saw his name. Where did know. he play this year? Uh, he played for Minnesota, didn't he? Oh no, he played for Chicago. Uh, Chicago. 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 He uh, let me go into Chicago. Contra. But he's also uh, he he uh, he's twenty nine. That's perfect. Yeah, I he, like he he plays left back too, but I think he he's really suit for uh, the three man center back for sure. Yeah, if, if he, he he would he could be a a good signing for the White Caps. And I'm wondering if he he should be he might be a domestic now at this point. He's been here for a long time. Uh, yeah, he's not, el- he's not eligible for free agency, so that's good too. Was with Miss Minnesota 2017 to 19, then Chicago 2019 to 21. Over 120 appearances overall, 10 goals. Huh. Our our last Costa Rican centre back wasn't too shabby at times. No, at times. Also, also, I also noticed that Bruce Arena finally has ended uh, Brad Knighton's stay in New England. Yeah, poor guy. He'll be going back to USL. Oh, maybe not. I guess some, some teams might want a backup. So let's just see how busy the Whitecaps are in all these draft and trade windows that are opening up this week. One thing that we do know is that no deals were done by the Whitecaps in the half-day trade window on Sunday morning. A few other deals dotting about the, the league, some involving Western Conference teams, but the, the Whitecaps, as of now, not taking part in any trades. Some murmurs out there that there are some things in the works, but might take a little bit of time for that to happen. So we'll see how all of that plays out. Also, I will be having a sit-down chat with Whitecaps head coach Vanny Sartini later this week. If you have any questions you'd like me to put to the Whitecaps head coach, let us know on Twitter at AFT in Canada. Or shoot us an email, aftncanada at hotmail.com. But that is it for our MLS chat. Well, our general MLS chat. Obviously, the Whitecaps are going to be busy in this off-season, but how busy? And what kind of guys are they going to look for? And how much is analytics going to play into all of this? Well, we're going to chat a little bit about that in the next part, and we'll be back with all of that after this. Hi, I'm Vanni Sartini, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show.
Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, I my plan to play songs from this year that I had liked for the, for the month has been derailed by the sad news on Friday that Mike Nesmith from The Monkees passed away aged 78. Mickey Dolan's now the solitary monkey left. That was a wonderful song there, penned and sang by Mike Nesmith. Listen to the band from their 1969 album, The Monkees Present. Mike Nesmith sang on a, a number of my, my favourite Monkees songs. Listen to the band there, What Am I Doing Hanging Round? My favourite. Just May Be The One, Girl I Knew Somewhere, Circle Sky from the, the movie Head. Very... A couple of songs for, from Head that were very much underrated, I feel, in the Monkey's yeah. repertoire. And, I know... and then one of the songs he had on, I know, I, I, I recognize because I was uh, I was reviewing some of his songs, uh, Papa Jean Blues. Yeah. It was, it was it was a very, like, different sound. And that's what Mike, Nesmith always had that different sound. Like the Monkey's, you know, Davy Jones. And in, in the way he sang the more yeah, songs. it was very poppy, whereas he was more yeah. country and yeah. kind of country rock. And I even, know you're a big monkeys fan uh, uh, as well, w- Steve. What am What am I hang, doing hanging around? Was a total sounded like a country song. They're, yeah, like I, and my kids always got annoyed when I sang along with that. In the car. That was the one I was going to kick off this part with. I ended up going to with listen oh, to it's, the it's band, a good song. but yeah. it, it was it was tough to pick which one to go for. Yeah, never got to see. Mike Nesmith play live because whenever I saw the monkeys he wasn't part of it I had tickets for their show last year Uh, Mike Nesmith and Mickey Dolans were going around and doing a kind of farewell tour and they got cancelled and postponed and then cancelled altogether they just wrapped up the farewell tour like four weeks ago in Los Angeles the Vancouver date never took place because of border restrictions and stuff but Mike Nesmith was getting quite frail towards the the end of the tour, so but, it's but he was he bad. was he, he was it was pretty good on the stage. He wasn't that frail. He was able to move around, yeah, like that. So he wasn't that bad. Very distinctive voice and just sad. I I we've spoke about this on the show before. When I was growing up in Scotland, the Monkeys TV show was on TV constantly. Yeah, and that's how I fell in love with the band. And, and I I I started watching it maybe in the eighties when uh, Much Music came around, uh, mid yeah mid eighties or something, and that's when I started. Became a monkeys fan. Um, obviously, Mike Nesmith. Everybody knows his mom, uh, secretary, invented uh, uh, whiteout. Yeah, and, uh, that's where they made a big. He was also one of the first people to create a music video um, in yeah, North for America. Rio, was it Rio? It was yeah. Rio. Yeah, it was Rio. Uh, obviously, uh, a lot of British bands did those kind of uh, you know pop music clips or whatever they used to call them back then in the music videos. But he was the first one in North America to put it together. R.I.P. Mike Nesmith, and sadly that is not going to be the the only R.I.P. tribute that we we do in this part, but we'll we'll come to that one later. We'll get back to the football chat now, and for what is going to be this episode's feature interview. So, a couple of weeks ago, I got a chance to to sit down with the Whitecaps' director of recruitment, Nikos Overhul. The, the Dutchman was uh, appointed at the end of last year into the Whitecaps organisation, then got the the director of recruitment role at the start of this year, has moved to Vancouver now, and just wanted to, to do a, a chat with him just so people got to kind of know what he's all about, what his background is. And he made his name uh, with Football Analytics, 
working for the, the company Statsbomb. And he's been a, a football consultant with a, a number of teams, a team analyst with Brentford and FC Midland. And he was responsible for player recruitment, set-piece coordination with, with those two teams and certainly played a, a, a role in both those teams' rise. And yet you're seeing how well both these these teams have, have done in, in recent seasons. Then he'd made, made the move to, to Statsbomb and then was initially scouting consultant with the Whitecaps before becoming director of recruitment in February 2021. Now, when I got a chance to sit down with Nikus, it was on the understanding that we wouldn't discuss what his targets were for the, the season to come, what kind of players he was looking for, where he were, was wanting to, to look, what market, stuff like that. So that might disappoint a, a few people that are expecting us to talk about that. But he's someone that likes to play his cards very close to his chest. I didn't want to speak too much about that. We had a little chat as well before the interview just to kind of set up what his role was. So this isn't in the interview either. But but basically, guys, what his role is, Vanni Sartini will say, I want a, a left-sided winger. I want a right-sided winger. I want a right-back. I want a centre-back. I want a, a midfield destroyer. He tasks it to Axel Schuster and to Nicholas Overhill, and then they use their scouting networks to kind of to see who they want to get, what matches, what they're looking for, does all the, the stats analysis. That just seems to be the way that modern football is is going, and that it, it means, Zach, that Nikos is going to play a very, very huge role in developing this Whitecaps squad uh, for this season and years to come basing things on the analytical side of the game, which certainly seems to be the way that the game is going these days. Yeah, that's an important part of uh, how football is evaluated and how clubs uh, build and plan and prepare for uh, their their future squad um, squad building. So, yeah, I think Nico, from what I understand, is, is, yeah, is playing a significant role for the Whitecaps right now. Uh, I, I, think, I think, though, that and I think we're three people who I think are on the same page on this. This stats are important, but they are definitely not the the be the be all and the end all. Yeah, I address um, that with him in in the the chat because I'm still a little bit on the fence with that. I know they have a part to play, but yeah, yeah. Like like for, like for example, today I was watching a game, and at the end of the game, this the stats come up, and it says one point six goal uh, goal xg versus 1.7 goal xg and, and can you guess this the score of the game 4-3 or no no <laughs> it was it was 4-1 and the oh. team that won was the team that had the 1.6 you know expected goals so like stats they're important but they definitely don't paint a full picture no and the way i always feel analytics should rule like in finding players is you, it gets you an idea of who to look at it kind of simplifies the way to find players but then you do your work and actually look at the player and how they play on the pitch. Yeah. So I, I think I think that's the best way to do it. Um, I I don't like just solely focusing on stats and and uh, analytics. And I don't think the I don't think they look at this like I know we get the you know expected goals stats all of the time, but I think they have more in depth stats that we don't see. Oh yeah, they and, go into and, everything. Yeah, and so so I like the so for me it's like if they can identify a player to look at that would be the ideal thing and then they look at that player whether it's looking at their tapes 
looking at full games, seeing them in person, uh, whatever they need to do, that would be the ideal thing. It's just a matter of, if, of find, locating that player faster. And so you can maybe get the jump on other teams and uh, before they get in there and identify that player and be able to bring them in. Yeah, that's certainly the key thing because everyone is using that. So we chat with Nickus about that and a lot more, get his background in the game as well, growing up watching football in the Netherlands. So go stick the kettle on, grab your favourite chocolate digestive or biscuit of choice, sit back and enjoy our chat with the Whitecaps Director of Recruitment, Nickus Overhull. So thank you so much for joining us today, Nikus. Um, been looking forward to chatting to you for a while, so it's, it's good to do this. How are you finding life in Vancouver so far? Yeah, I'm doing well. First of all, thank you for having me, Michael. Um, yes, yeah, it's, it's been enjoyable. Like I, uh, the first game that I actually attended attended in real life was uh, the San Jose game that we won three 0 So that was a good start, undefeated with me in the stadium. So I'm taking full credit for that. Oh yeah, I mean it's that when I came here in two thousand and seven, my first season was two thousand and eight, and the Whitecaps won a championship. So it's hard to kind of get above that. So, <laughs> that's true. That's true. You've got me beat there. Yeah. Um. So you you joined the the Whitecaps originally in October as a consultant, and then you became director of recruitment in February. So we're. We're going to look a little bit at your background today, talk a little bit about analytics, talk a little bit about recruitment and, and scouting. To take your way back then, so obviously you grew up in the, the Netherlands. Who did you grow up supporting? Were you a big football fan as a, as a kid? Uh, I was, I was. I was a, a fan of uh, Sparta Rotterdam, which is the oldest club in the country. Uh, first game I actually attended was uh, was uh, in Feyenoord Stadium, the big rival, uh, when I was, I think, five years old. Uh, and that was uh, Barcelona, who at that point were coached by Johan Cruyff against Feyenoord. That was actually the first game that uh, Barcelona played after they had won the European Cup. So that was, uh, that was a very high standard that most of the football that I saw after that did not live up to. Yeah, I, I mean, Dutch football is going through a little bit of a renaissance at the moment as well. I just saw that Netherlands have moved back into the top 10 in, in the FIFA rankings and everything. When, when I think back years ago, I think of like the... I'm old. So I saw Cruyff play at the World Cups in the 70s. Not obviously in person. And then I remember like the Van Basten era and, and everything like that. Before we get into how you got involved in football analytics, it is analytics your background how did you get involved in that what made you want to go into that field of business well my actual background is more um humanities based like i uh i, I did media studies at university uh and the way that i was taught at, at utrecht university which is where i went was more like a um, science and technology studies background philosophy of technology so that was sort of my background um, as I was doing that, um, I started writing like tactical analyses, uh, and I was basically one of the first people to do that in the Dutch language here. Um, and like that got me uh, connected through other people also on social media, um, including Ted Knudsen, who was uh, hired by uh, by Brentford and FC Midtjylland. And uh, I had been in contact with him through social media for a while. And at some point, like he needed scouts, uh, hired me to be a scout. And then after a short while, asked me to come to uh, London to work 
uh, in the office where Brentford and Michelin's uh, practices were uh, sort of centralized because they have the same owner. Yeah, I hadn't actually appreciated that. Till I looked at, at some research before we did this interview and I hadn't realized you had done both clubs at the same time because I hadn't fully realized that they, they had the, the same owner. I mean, you, you look like Michelin, it's anyone that follows European football, they've punched above their weight for for years. Brentford, I've always had a soft spot for Brentford because one of my best friends in Scotland, his dad is from the Brentford area and grew up supporting Brentford, so he's always supported them. But when you look at the rise of Brentford just now, how much do you put that down to them adopting football analytics early on i mean that's that's hard to say i think in general like um it's not really about analytics it's about like being a smartly run club and you can do that in many ways uh the route that brentford have taken is very heavy analytics based also because of the background of their owner who's a professional gambler uh, and has a gambling syndicate so that that's just a normal sort of a sort of route to go for a team like that with that owner um so i think that, that makes a lot of sense for them like the way, of course, like that, the issue that Brentford has or had, because they're, they're, they're in the Premier League now, so now they have actual money. But the central issue that Brentford have to fix is that we want to go to the Premier League, but we have a bottom four budget in the championship. So how do you do that? Right. Uh, and one of the ways is like to, to think about, you really have to think about every single dollar or pound you spend. And the way that Brentford did that was, uh, uh, like, for instance, also, uh, cutting their academy because in the English system, like even your best players can be uh, poached by big teams for very, very little money. So at that point, what is the point of having an academy? And these are the questions that you have to really think about if you, like you said, have you have a bottom four budget in your league and you still want to achieve things? Yeah, that side of it's so interesting. I I read a book all about scouting a few years ago by an English writer, Michael Calvin. Um, mm-hmm. It had won lots of sports awards back then. And it was crazy how many people or how many players come through an academy system and then don't make it with the club that they've come through. So there's obviously always lots of players that are available. So, I mean, stuff like that makes sense. But when you left Brentford and Michelin and you kind of went into more consultancy and you, you worked with a number of different clubs, I listened to an interview that you did with another podcast back in 2019. And you were kind of summarizing the role that you did back then. And one of the things which I found fascinating is you mentioned that part of the job with some of the clubs is you would basically take over the club. This is when you're with Statsbomb. You would take over the club, do the stuff, and then hand it back to, to them in a better shape. That just seemed crazy to me because... They're putting so much trust in a company. Yeah, that makes sense. Like, I mean, obviously, uh, those types of situations occur under under very specific circumstances, of course. Like, uh, particularly, that could be if they have a new owner who wants to, you know, like, go a new route. Or they're in a bit of a sporting crisis and realize that they want to go a different route. Like, at some point, like, the situation basically has to be, like, overwhelmingly negative for you to do that like we're in a rut we don't really know how to get out we want to do something right. different we don't really know how to go about that um and then you can bring in a consultancy like we're not like fully like we're not making the actual decisions but it's more like 
running a scouting department with like the people that are supposed to take over um, right next to you, essentially. Yeah. Uh, so it gives it gives you some pointers on how you could maybe approach things. I mean, you were with Stapsbomb for a number of years. You you started off as the league technical scout, then you were the head of technical scouting. What made you decide you wanted to get back involved just with one club, in this case, the Whitecaps? And what was it about the Whitecaps that really appealed to you in that regard? Yeah, um, I think the, like, the, the thing that I find interesting about working as a consultant is you get to work in many different circumstances and like slightly different roles all the time. And that, that's really good for like your own personal growth and education. Um, but you have no actual responsibility. And that's not particularly fun to me. I like to uh, stand and fall by my own decisions or at least be part of the decision-making process. Um, so I was open. I, I was okay with the job that I had at the time, but I was open to maybe moving into a club. Um, there were like multiple clubs that showed a degree of interest in me. Um, but I thought the, um, the proposition that sort of the Whitecaps uh, uh, offered was very interesting because um, like obviously, like it's Oxford said this many times, the scouting side of the club was not in particularly good shape. Yeah. Um, which is also, which is of course an interesting point to step in because you can essentially just uh, do things the way that you want to do them because there's like no legacy that you have to fight against. It was not quite a, a blank slate, but fairly close. And obviously, like Axel approached approached me directly. I didn't apply for a job. Um, and Axel like basically outlined like, this is what we want to do. Um, we think that you are a really good candidate for doing it that way. And of course, if, if someone offers you that, that's really interesting. Like I got to do things the way that I wanted to do them uh, with full support of uh, my direct uh, boss, essentially. Yeah, I was going to ask you that next. It's like, because I don't know how much of this you, you can even share, but I would imagine the owner sat you down and you kind of alluded to it there and said, look, this is what we want to do. This is where we want to be in three years and five years. This is the goal of the club. This is our budget. Can you make this happen? Is that basically how the conversation? Well, this is not, it's not quite like, because <laughs> uh, obviously like, like I don't, like, I do not have decision-making power to that extent because obviously Oxel makes the final decision. That's his job. That's why he gets paid more than me. Uh, uh, but no, no, like, like I was pretty explicitly hired um, because like through my background, uh, I have the ability to like combine like analytics uh, derived insight. Uh, I can do like, like traditional scouting and I can think strategically. So that combination is really interesting. Like, and that, that they wanted me for specifically that. One shows that the direction that the club wanted to take, um, which immediately makes it interesting to me. Um, and and the fact that they put that level of trust in me um, also sort of sealed the deal on that. Football analytics is it's such a, a growing area. And it, I mean, I'll be honest, it's something I don't understand a lot about. And... I have been working my way through this book, Football Hackers, for the the last few months. Funnily enough, I actually had bought that for Mark DeSantis as a Christmas present last year, and I never gave it to him because I started reading it, and I was like, oh, I want to finish that before I give it to him, and then I never got around to finishing it, and then Mark's gone now. But it's, it's just an area I've never really fully understand, and... I'm quite old-fashioned because I'm always all about eye test more than stats. 
and that some stats I feel like you look at Brian White expected goals outperformed that incredibly but the eye test of what he's done in previous places would make you think well he's going to score goals but I mean how, how much stock do you put in analytics compared to an actual eye test say of a player right yeah I understand where the question's coming from and I apologize for the slightly philosophical response I'm going to give um, no so like the, the way that you're sort of framing the question implies that there's like a disconnect between those things that yeah, on the guess, one end yeah. you have an eye test and on the other there's analytics and I that's just not how it works for me. Like for me, it's just information about a player. And the exact form that that takes is mostly irrelevant. Um, like the goal for me as like the, the leader of the scouting process is to get as much information about a player of as high a quality as possible. Um, so if you look at it from that angle, like the question of like how much stock do you put into eye test or how much stock do you put into analytics basically immediately disappears. Right, right. Like it's a hundred percent eye test and a hundred percent analytics. Right. Because I want to have as much information as, as possible, and then you know it's it's my job to sort of weigh different sources of information that could be like statistical in nature. It could be like different scouting reports who contradict each other a little bit. Um, it could be like different background sources who tell you opposite things about a player, and then the goal is to okay, you have all the information, and then the the trick is to uh, make a judgment call on that. Also, of course, financial information feeds into this as yeah. well. Yeah, budgets and everything. Sometimes I feel I'm the only person involved in the game that's never seen the film Moneyball. It's like I know about it. I've just never, never seen it. So it's pretty good. You should watch it. I, I keep meaning to. It's one of those things. It's just like I keep meaning to finish this football hackers book, and one, one day I will soon. But. It's an area, like, I've always been an analytical person and I worked in banking before and we did a lot of like cost and risk assessment and stuff like that. That's my previous life. So reading about it and how it gets applied into football, I, I don't even know if you can answer this, but what came first? Was it clubs wanting to use this information or did the, these companies set up and then go to the football clubs and say, look, this is what we can do for your club, for your business. I don't know if I'm the right person to answer that. I didn't work in sales, so I don't know. Um, no, but I think like there's obviously like the, as you mentioned, alluded to Moneyball helps because that's like an immediate example in a sport where it was transformative, basketball too, uh, hockey a little bit. So like, I think that the way that that sort of starts is that people in football look at that and think like, like the way that it's often phrased, like, do we need to do something with data as well? And generally, if you're if that's the question you're asking, you're going to make a mistake. Yeah. Um, because like the way that it shakes out often in practice is that then, oh, well, we will have a data person and who will do the data stuff. And like you've the way if that's how you approach things, like you have a traditional scouting thing and a data person, like you've set up your organization where different departments are now in opposition to each other. Uh, and like, I think the way that you want to do it is to have like a, a holistic approach in terms of like scouting and to just combine those things into one, into one process. And like I, I've, um, yeah, I've done consultancy too with a, with a team in, in Europe. Uh, this was a couple of years ago. And you know, they, they asked me to, to help with the integration of analytics into their, uh, their scouting process. 
<laughs> and no, I, I sort of wrote a proposal to restructure the scouting department. And they came back like, no, 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 we, this is not what we want. We just want you to do the analytics bit. Right. It's like, okay, so this is a waste of time then for everyone. Yeah. Uh, so that's sort of the way that that shakes out in practice. And I think uh, as, as time has gone on, like people start to sort of realize uh, what, like, what's a better way to approach these things. I mean, obviously a club can still win without going down the analytical road because if you just spend tons of money and buy all the best players in the world more times than not you're, you're going to win football matches but do you feel that like clubs like the white caps clubs that size is that their real way to success now it's like if you don't employ some kind of analytical approach and delve into all the stats of the players that you're recruiting especially when you've not got the biggest budget in a league is there any way for these clubs to really punch above their weight without adopting this? I think so, probably. But like, there needs to be a way that you punch above your weight, really. Um, and also, like, even if we're not talking about like punching above your weight, it's like, why would you deny yourself more information in your yeah. decision-making process? That yeah. doesn't really make sense to me. Unless you like straight up think that it's completely pointless, in which case don't do it. But that's yeah, I think any anyone that's in charge of a club that thinks that nowadays though shouldn't be in charge of a of a football club. But um, if we turn into scouting and recruitment, just to to kind of finish off here, so the the markets these days, like even thinking back three years, five years. When we had Carl Robinson here in Vancouver, he was always talking about wanting to unearth that hidden talent, diamonds in the rough. Obviously, analytics can really help that, and you can't be watching every single league and every single player uh, around the world. But is there still untapped talent out there? Are there still diamonds in the rough that people aren't going to know about? I mean, that's possible. Uh, but in, in general, I think sort of, this is often how analytics gets framed, which is very like finding undervalued talent and things yeah. like that. I think the goal is to build a team that wins. That is the goal. And like finding undervalued talent can help with that a little bit. One thing that, that is also important is uh, avoiding mistakes, which is like, even if everyone were to use analytics, so therefore like perfectly, there would no longer be any undervalued talent. Avoiding the mistakes is still equally important. Um, and I think that that is actually really true in, in MLS as well because of the, the, the salary cap and like you cannot spend your way out of a mistake you made. Um, so hopefully we don't do that. Uh, yeah, so that, that's sort of how I, how I see that. Like the, the risk in MLS is asymmetrical. Like Yeah. I, I mean, I, I like the salary cap. It was an alien concept to, to me when I, I first came over and experienced stuff with that, but I, I just think it's great. My club in Scotland's a small club in the third tier, so we're not used to big budgets or having to compete with that. But when you're when you're looking, like if we look within MLS, something I, I asked Mark this constantly over the last couple of years was, why does the club not do more MLS trades. You look around the league and there's some bumper trades. Every year there's always a couple of bumper trades. And it's something I've felt the club should be doing more, getting the guys that know the league. And if you look at two of the most recent additions, you've got Brian White, you've got Florian Jungwirth. It's two guys that know this league. Is that something that you feel the club might want to delve in more to as opposed to just looking 
at markets out with MLS? I mean, we're we're open to sort of all sorts of uh, like player acquisitions. Like we're not going to rule anything out because that would be a bit daft. Like obviously, like this is an option that we are considering, and if the right deal were to become available, we would do that. Uh, but like we we are open to like all sorts of uh, markets. That that includes, of course, the the domestic one. And I don't know if you can answer this or we'd want to answer this, but when you look around the world markets just now, are are there areas of the world that you feel other clubs, especially say MLS clubs, aren't looking at? Mark had talked before, he talked about Korea, like Eastern Europe, stuff like that. Don't want to tip your hand, but are are there areas of the world that you feel, yep, this has been really overlooked here and we could do so much business in a place like this? It's possible. Um, like one of the things that you maybe have to think about also is that um, it's also a matter of risk, right? Like if there's the markets that are untapped are pretty much by definition like more risky. Because yeah, there's, there's probably a reason that they are untapped. Yeah, yeah so <laughs> yeah, you can, I mean, there's a reason or uh, like if there's no reason, then you don't have sufficient information to make a, a, a good judgment. You can still make the deal, of course, uh, but like... We would look at that uh, again. Like this is something that would factor into the calculations. Like, what do we actually know about these leagues? Um, and it could be the case that the lack of knowledge is actually useful once, uh, as long as it's priced in. Like, you don't want to spend considerable amounts of money for, to buy players from leagues that you do not understand. Yeah, that's that's very true. Just last couple of things. How much football? do you find yourself watching a day, a week? Because obviously you're doing a lot of scouting. I mean, is that the bulk of your days, just watching games, watching players? Yeah, I would say the answer to that is too much. I watch too much. My wife would agree with what I do. And that's (laughs) not even for a job, so... (laughs) Yeah, I I find it hard sometimes to to watch uh, games outside of, like, working hours. If there's no, like, work-related reason to watch it, it's difficult for me because again, this is what I do all day. It'd be a bit, it'd be a bit sad, I think, if like if I was watch football all day and then when when I was off the clock, like, what am I gonna do now? I'm gonna watch more football. That That's seems a unhealthy. <laughs> uh, uh, I've on occasion, but uh, but not too much. Uh, no, I, wa- I watch a lot. That that is still the bulk of my day. Um, it's just simply watching watching the games, uh, and it's not always. Uh, particularly fun but like yeah that's that's my job i have to watch this stuff yeah um last thing then you you touched there on clubs like brentford getting rid of their academy the white caps have talked in the past they've wanted to be a club that brings their players through the academy and sell them on to to the bigger clubs where do you see the academy where do you see the under 23 team fitting into this whole process but when it comes to your recruitment I think it's usually important for us. Um, I don't know when like the, the fruits of that will, will, be, will be plucked, but like we care a lot about the academy. Like uh, again, like we just want to get like a, as many uh, good young players as we can from any uh, sort of uh, origin. So that's like you said, that that's academy, that's transfers, that's maybe trades. Like we are open to all of that. Um, the academy is, of course, the most obvious one. And that is very, very important to us. Like Axel has said this many times, like we want to also support Canadian football in that regard. That is usually important to us. 
um, and we, we care a lot about like the development pathway as well. Um, this is true both in terms of recruitment and also in coaching. Like famously, of course, like Ricardo Clark has been hired as an assistant coach specializing in the development of young players. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that, that's something that we care about a lot. What's your off-season going to look like? Do you see yourself flying around all over the place? Or uh, uh, do you feel you're going to be busy? Or is it just like filling in a couple of little pieces here and there? It's hard to say, really. Like, I think our squad is in a good shape overall. Definitely better than it was a year ago. Oh, yeah. Um, like, obviously, we're, we're always trying to upgrade the squad. Like, that's yeah. pretty clear. Uh, but, like, do we feel like an incredibly pressing need to, uh, to like, Block many many holes in the, in the squad. No, I think we we don't have to do a lot, but we have the flexibility that we can do a lot, which I think is a pretty good situation to be in. Um, so I think like we'll definitely do stuff, but how much I don't know. Like that's that's it also depends on the deals that become available to us. Yeah. Like we're not in a particular rush to do anything. Uh, which I think again that's that's a good spot to be in. Yeah, I think six months ago I would have thought, oh no, you need to now. It's just amazing. It's amazing what a few good wins can do, getting back in home and doing all that. Thank you so much for, for joining us today, Nikus. Um, I could chat to you for hours about analytics. Welcome to Vancouver. And thank you. Yeah, thank you for your time today. Thank you very much. Nikos Overheel there, just chatting all things about his role as director of recruitment with the Whitecaps. Well, not quite all things, because as I, as I mentioned at the start, he didn't want to go too much into specific targets that he was looking at or markets that he's looking at. He did say, though, it, it is becoming hard these days to kind of find that player that Robbo always talked about, the diamond in the rough, because so many people are... are into analytics these days there's so many stats out there games are widely available that that, that they haven't been before and it, it does make you wonder where the white cats might want to look for their their talents i mean we, we, we've tried the korean market maybe didn't work out too good we've looked in the african market before yasser kamiri uh from tunisia was a kind of shot in the dark that didn't work out do you feel, Steve, that there is still markets out there that could be not really ploughed or plundered by no. by MLS? Maybe I Eastern Europe or no? Every every place has been tried and tested and everything like that. It's just about whether you can find that player that you're looking for. Like even when you were before analytics, you were finding players, and sometimes they work, and some and there's always circumstances. Like they might be the greatest player, but their mentality isn't the greatest or they, they are not able to adapt to the city you're in. Um, well, yeah. Cause there's that side of it as well. And that's also part of the analytical side that they do. Yeah. Now they look at all the personal side for them. And then, and then they, cause, cause some of them just walk off the plane and they want to go back right away. Mm. Um, not naming names, Jarju. Um, <laughs> but, um, but the, so there's a lot of factors that, you know, I've always said that like when we used to do the Academy and, and it, like, prospects and see who's up and coming and naming a top five every single one of those players has the potential to become a pro every single one of them it's a matter of if they put follow all the directives and develop the same way that they're supposed to and every every player has that option 
Every player can develop. It's yeah. just the mentality and how they... Some of it's getting in the right place as well to develop. Exactly. Exactly. And and, that, and and having the right mentality when you're developing, not calling for a, a, a coach like, why, where's my playing time? When you, have, when you haven't done anything, you haven't proven anything. So you, it's all about that. And like everybody has the chance to be successful wherever they go. It's just about whether they want it or not. Well... We'll hopefully get a, a chat again with Nicholas into the, the new year. We only had 20 minutes uh, time limit, so we had to get through a lot in that period of time. But that is pretty much it for tonight's show. But before we go, there is still time for this week's Wavelength. And initially, I thought I was actually going to be doing something this week that I don't usually do, which is playing a Wavelength song that we have played before. So I was checking to see what episode it was that we had played this song in. And then, to my surprise, it turns out that I hadn't played it. I had written about it in a a feature on AFTN, but we have not played it in Wavelength. And I think the reason for that is probably going to become clear because it's very profanity-ridden. There's a lot of F-bombs, the C-word is used. So if, if that kind of thing is not for you or you're easily offended, probably just turn the, the podcast off just now and don't bother listening to, to this song or fast forward past it and listen to, to the end of the show. But there is a reason why I have selected this song. I, I want to play a song from 1987 and it's from a band called The Angelic Upstarts. It's from their album Blood on the Terraces and this is the title track from it. And we're playing this song because, apart from Mike Nesmith passing away on Friday, the lead singer of the Angelic Upstarts, Thomas Mensforth, known to everyone as Mensy in punk circles, died aged 65 from COVID complications. Pneumonia was brought on after getting COVID. He was in the, the ICU for a couple of weeks, sadly passed away. He was the lead singer with the band since 1977. Their their debut album, 1979's Teenage Warning, is a punk classic. If you want to get into the band, I highly recommend their compilation album of their early stuff, 1983's Angel Dust. Well worth getting. Here is, though, their song from 1987, their football violent song, Blood on the Terraces.
the angelic upstarts, blood on the terraces, R.I.P. Mency. But that is it now for this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show. Just before we go, Steve, any final thoughts? Where can folk find you online? Anything that you've learned this week? Well, you can find me on Twitter at WhitecapsBeat. And uh, what I've learned is that uh, don't mention uh, the name Glass City around Zach because he'll just assume you're the Glass City if you do that. (laughs) Zach? Uh, You can find me on uh, Twitter at ZacharyAM. I'm a part of Fraser Valley Fanatics um, trying to support uh, the birth of the CPL team in the lower mainland. Uh, what did I learn this week? I learned that you guys prefer plastic over wood. Definitely. In some cases. I am Michael McCall. You can find me on Twitter at AFTN Canada. Read our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. Follow us on YouTube, youtube.com backslash AFTN Canada. Like, subscribe, all that kind of stuff. And... I nearly learned something this week. I, on Friday, I was going to get out to the VMSL game up at Newton. Uh, BB5 United were taking on Coastal. It was a first v second clash. And I didn't go because the weather was really crappy. And I thought, I'm just going to stay nice and warm. And maybe this is one of the games that they're videoing this week. And I'm glad I didn't because the game didn't finish. It got abandoned with 16 minutes to go because the floodlights failed. And if I had gone... That would have been the second of their games this season that I had gone to that never finished. So I'd have been thinking I was a jinx. So at least I've learned that I might not be. But that is it. We will be back soon with uh, another show. We hope you've enjoyed this one. Until next time, thanks for listening. Take care. Stay safe. Mon the caps. Bye, everyone. Go into your first match is an experience you never forget. The atmosphere of what's going on around the pitch looks beautiful and you always look and go, wow, I'd love to play here one day. If you get the bug, it's going to stay with you for life.